0: Hello everyone and welcome to A Millennial Learns. My name is Abby Rancor. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Thursday episode. If you're new here, welcome on Thursdays. We are for this full year going through each state and going over the state history, geography, stats, all of the good things so we can learn a little bit more about each state. We're doing it in the order that they entered the union. So we're on number 11, which is New York. One of my favorite states, honestly. And I've only been to really the city part of New York. I know there's like a whole other part of the state, which is a little bit more rural and things. But I have been to New York City, kind of like Times Square. Um, My cousin took me around Brooklyn last year. So I love New York. I feel like as I get older, I'm just... I am more drawn towards the country and like rural areas but there is just something about New York that I just will always love and I love a city just if it's New York so um, this is gonna be a very fun episode it's they have very interesting historical timeline and um, I'm excited to show you all the state symbols and things like that so thank you for tuning in and let's get into the history of New York So before we get into the historical timeline of the state and things like that, I kind of like to go over the geography and the climate and things like that, just so we have a context of kind of where we're talking in the country and what it's really like there. And then we can kind of go into the historical timeline. So the capital of New York is Albany, New York and the state Nickname is the Empire State. That could be, you know, pretty straightforward because the Empire State Building is there. But New York City is nicknamed the Big Apple. So, um, and then the state motto is this word in Latin that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it translates to the saying ever upward. So, those are the state kind of uh, nickname and mottos. And the geography of New York, it's in the northeastern part of the country. It is bordered on the south by Pennsylvania and New Jersey, on the east by Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Vermont, and then to the north by Canada. So it actually touches two of the Great Lakes as well, Lake Ontario and Lake Erie. Um, And we will get to the Great Lakes a little bit more in our Michigan episode because they're all about the Great Lakes, but it does touch two of those lakes so that's the geography of kind of where we're talking about when we are talking about the state of new york now the climate actually is pretty nice like i always imagine again i always imagine like the winters being just really terrible and then the summer's being just absolutely humid and also not good i don't know why i really have that in my mind it is more humid in new york for sure but again I'm from Colorado so pretty much everywhere is more humid than here you know so here's some of the stats on the climate New York gets about 47 inches of rain on average per year which is about nine inches more than the US average they get three inches less of snow per year on av- than the average um, American state which I would not have guessed. It's a little bit more south, so it makes sense, but it's definitely north enough where I thought they would get just a ton of snow, but that is not really the case. New York gets some kind of precipitation on average of about 119 days per year, which counts as either rain, snow, sleet, or hail. And let's see. So basically to sum all of this up, we look at something called the comfort index, which this, Um, website is called bestplaces.net and so they rate this comfort index the average comfort index is about 7.0 and their comfort index is 7.3 which means they're one of the more pleasant states or they're more pleasant than average their summer comfort index is 8.6 so extremely comfortable and pleasant winter it's 5.5 which is honestly higher than some states we've seen It's not actually that bad, but like most states, September, June, and May around there are the most pleasant months and January and February are the least comfortable months of the whole year. July and August get a little hotter, so the comfort index is down. So really like early, like late spring, early summer are kind of the best times to go and then into the start of fall. It does get pretty hot the average july high is about 84 degrees and the average january low is about 26 but both of those are actually more mild than the average u.s state the average u.s state high is about 86 degrees and the average january low is 21.7 so it's definitely more mild than a lot of other states um the highest elevation is Or let's see, is this the average? Yeah, the average elevation is only 33 feet. So it's basically sea level almost the whole time. And let's see, I think this says humidity somewhere. Um, There are about, in January, February, and March, like the average freezing days in that month is about 21 days so the vast majority of the winter is below freezing so while it is a little bit more mild it's just very cold for a very long time so that is the climate of new york honestly seems way better than i would have guessed it seems very very pleasant okay now that we have gone through kind of the context setting of that let's get into the timeline of the state of New York. So again, like we mentioned, there are Native, there were Native Americans living here before any of the European settlers came. So we've really talked about a lot of those groups in the other colonies because we've kind of gone up and down the whole coast almost at this point of the 13 colonies. So we are going to start today in the year 1609, which in 1609, it says, exploring on behalf of the Dutch, Englishman Henry Hudson sails what we now call the Hudson River. So he was the first um, man to explore the Hudson River, and he sailed with the Dutch East India Company. So between 1621 and 1624, the Dutch established a colony called New Netherland um after netherland and settlements in this colony include new amsterdam and fort orange which is later albany so albany is now the capital and that was one of the first places settled uh in 16 you know between 1621 and 1624. by the way i'm getting this timeline from newyorksenate.gov very very good timeline with like just enough solid info but not an overwhelming amount. So, if you want to go look this up, it's called newyorksenate.gov and I will of course link it below. Okay, 1653, there was this initial move towards a self-government um because this municipal corporation was set up in New Amsterdam. The governor was named Peter Stoyvesant I believe that's how you pronounce it. And Um, He appointed some, you know, kind of people to help run this government, but he retained the authority to establish ordinances. Um, So it says in December of 1653, the governor dismisses demands for increased self-government from a delegation representing the settlers. All right. So then in the year 1664, there was a charter, by the name of the charter of 1664 and in that charter new netherland was claimed for england by king charles ii he gave it to his brother the uh who was named james and he was the duke of york and albany and he was he later became king james ii so under this charter, the Duke of York has the power to establish laws, appoint officials, and make judiciary decisions that can only be appealed to the Privy Council of England. It says, eventually, the Duke delegates many of his powers to his governors and establishes a council which consists of important citizens who advise the governor. So that's like kind of the ruling system they had set up once it became um, claimed, once the land became claimed by England. In August of the same year, an English fleet arrives in New Amsterdam. It says Dutch governor Peter Stuyvesant surrenders to English Colonel Richard Nichols, who was eventually appointed royal governor by the Duke of York to oversee this new New Netherland territory, which is now New York and New Jersey. Uh, it says in 1664 new jersey is gifted to john lord berkeley and sir george Carteret by the duke of york and in 1667 nichols returns a portion of new york land to connecticut so this is like kind of the split between where this whole territory was now one we've seen this a few times where there's like these big swaths of land that are all considered kind of one colony and then they get broken up into different places so in this case it was Connecticut and New Jersey Um, if you remember back in the I don't know there's a few different um, uh, colonies that this happened to but Maine broke off from I believe New Hampshire so um, you know this is pretty consistent with what we've seen so far okay in 1665 the governor denies a request Uh, along Long Island for a general assembly he establishes the Duke's laws instead which is a system of local government that they say is eventually used by all of New York so again they're kind of just trying to figure out the government systems here Um, Francis Lovelace takes over as governor in 1668 and then from 1673 to 1674 it says that the third Anglo-Dutch war breaks out um, while Governor Lovelace is away, and the Dutch actually recapture New Amsterdam, so he this new um Governor Anthony Colve, who was Dutch, changes this whole system of how the laws work, and he rules with military law instead of kind of a people's uh you know the the previous government they have that local system of government that is eventually used by all of New York that is not being put in place now it's all military law it doesn't take long for the English to retake New Amsterdam in 1674 which is the same you know year the English retake it and the Dutch and English come to a peace agreement that is when New Amsterdam changes its name to New York City so, that is like the founding of the actual city of New York City. Okay, 1674 to 1681, this guy named Sir Edmund Andros is appointed by the king as New York's royal governor. He introduces the English, or he reintroduces the English form of government, and he makes English the official language. And so... um, He also was going to be, or he was elected to the assembly, to the Duke of York, but he refused kind of that honor. Okay, 1681, revenues start dropping because there are these merchants who are rebelling. They refuse to pay the import duties, and the Duke of York's authority is challenged. He's forced to allow the creation of an assembly, even though he was not for it, because these merchants just did not want to pay the import duties okay in 1683 there's a new royal governor named Thomas Dongan. he um, the Duke of York directs him to call for a general assembly Um, October of that same year in 1683 that governor his council and delegates meet at Fort James in New York City and pass the Charter of Liberties and Privileges. Now, what that means is that it establishes an elected assembly to share legislative power with the governor and his council. After the governor and Duke of York approved the charter, the assembly under the British meets between 1683 and 1686. Uh, a couple years later, in 1685, the Duke of York then becomes King James II and he ends up rejecting the new york's charter of liberties and privileges in 1686 during his rule and the assembly is abolished like he really did not want an assembly so and he was kind of forced into it originally so as soon as he had the power he just abolished it okay 1686 through 1688 new england all the new england colonies are combined by king james ii into what is called the dominion of new england and Edmund Andros is appointed governor of this whole area. It says in 1688, an attempt to make New York and New Jersey part of the Dominion of New England fails. Upon hearing, upon hearing of King James II's overthrow, angry citizens in Boston imprison Andros for suppressing liberties, and rebellious citizens in New York rise up against Andros's deputy, who flees to England. So it's like this big um, uprising because they just do not feel like they're being represented um, with the laws. So, the first kind of, like, sprinkling of, like, a rebellious uh, spirit against England, I guess. 1689. In March of 1691, Colonel Henry Slofter, I think is how you pronounce his name, Slofter, Uh, was sent by King William III to replace Leisler. He arrived in New York and assembles a new council that is made up of Leisler's enemies and puts Leisler to death. When Slaughter dies the same year, the council selects the commander of the troops, Robert Inglesby, as the temporary governor until Governor Benjamin Fletcher arrives. The council then reestablishes, in essence, the Charter of Liberties and Privileges of 1683, which sets up the courts and the local governments. So there is a lot going on with the leadership of New York at this time. And then in April of that year, 1691 still, the first permanent assembly meets. That was also known as the General or Colonial Assembly as well. Okay, from 1708 to 1760, I know that's a big time period, but it's summarized as New York is beginning to develop constitutional principles and procedures similar to those of England. Although the British government and its governors fight to retain power over New York, there's a gradual shift in power from the governor to the colonial assembly when the assembly gains more control over the administration of governmental finances and begins to control appointments. This says, from 1746 to 1750, an important political fight is waged between Governor George Clinton and the Colonial Assembly for power. The Colonial Assembly asserted, so in summary, the Colonial Assembly asserted that they had supreme power over the whole colonial government, but obviously Governor George Clinton did not think that that was the case. So they had to compromise in the end, and they agreed that they shared um you know they shared the power with the governor obviously both of them want complete power but they end up ended up having to share and so that whole process kind of got worked out in you know the early part of the 1700s into about 1760. from 1764 to 1774 that is really the time period where the british parliament starts passing all of these taxes and you know all of these different acts that are hurting the colonial or the colonists and they feel like they're not getting represented in these there's the Sugar Act which um, is supposed to raise money to pay off the French and Indian war debt there's the Stamp Act there's the Currency Act the Quartering Act the Townshend Revenue Act the Tea Act and this is what eventually c- causes a bunch of the colon I keep saying colonialists or something, the colonists to protest, organize, boycott the Boston Tea Party, you know, protests. So that whole time period from sixty four to seventy four is just increasing tensions between the colonists and the British. In sixteen 16- 1767 and 1769 between those couple years new york's colonial assembly is temporarily suspended by the king because it voted not to comply with the quartering act which the quartering act said that um forced it it said that colonists had to house english troops and that is what i believe our fourth amendment is i'm pretty sure it's the fourth It says that you don't have to do that which is such as a very specific (laughs) amendment for you know that was kind of only applicable to that time period but um that is why the general assembly got temporarily suspended in new york so like i said those um acts and taxes and things go all the way up into 1774 so in 1773 the boston tea party takes place december 16th 1773 in 1774 the British Parliament passes a series of acts including the coercive act which is also known as the intolerable acts if you've heard of the intolerable intolerable acts they are supposed to punish the colonists for rebelling against the other acts that the colonists have uh, protested against like the tea tax and the quartering tax and all of that supposed to limit the colonists freedom like self-rule the Colonial Assembly created a Committee of Correspondence, kind of in, um, in well, right in the beginning of 1774. That's right after the Boston Tea Party. And let's see, it says, the Colonial Assembly creates a new Committee of Correspondence, a governmental committee to communicate with other colonies regarding the Intolerable Acts passed by British Parliament. Okay. This timeline sometimes bounces around in order like it says a general time period and then goes into more detail so got a little lost there but anyway so in may of 1774 it says alarmed by the closing of boston's harbor by the british the people in new york organized the committee of 51. now this committee ended up meeting in new york city and it says it moderately favors resistance so they were kind of on the edge A lot of colonists were loyalists because they thought that you know england provided them with a lot of good things and it was better if they were just a colony of england but you know eventually it was they were outnumbered by people who wanted um independence from england okay it says in 1774 local committees in new york select and send delegates to the first continental congress It is held in philadelphia between september 5th and october 6th it asserts that the colonists have basic rights by formally refusing to obey the intolerable acts they call for the need of a local militia and it also calls for local committees to enforce an agreement which is called the continental association that was stating that colonies should refuse to trade with england until the restoration of their basic rights so I might do a, a whole podcast about the Intolerable Acts, to be honest, because they seem like the turning point for this entire revolution, really. I mean, the other acts got bad and people were um, definitely wanting to rebel against those, but it seems like the Intolerable Acts were kind of the final straw. In November of 1774, the New York's Committee of 51 is replaced by the Committee of 60, In 1775, so April of 1775, New York's, specifically, New York's Colonial Assembly ends their meeting with a refusal to select delegates for the Second Continental Congress. So they had a second one in the, you know, country, well, I guess before the country was formally created, but the Second Continental Congress, no delegates from New York went. April 19th was 1775 was the shot heard around the world at Lexington, which starts the American Revolution. And then in April of 1775, this committee just keeps getting bigger. The committee of 60 is replaced by the Committee of 100 and it calls for a new provincial Congress. So the Second Continental Congress, which again, New York did not send anyone to, elected John Hancock as its president and appoints George Washington as the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. So basically, this is like all, you know, Revolutionary War starting 1776. New York has more a Provincial Congress meet in the White Plains, but it cannot proceed since it does not have a quorum. July 4th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia signs the Declaration of Independence. New York has no one sign it. So New York isn't as gung-ho about the revolution as I thought originally, like when they moderately voted for resistance and then they did not send anyone to the Congress or the the Continental Congress. So the American Revolutionary War ends in 1783. In 1786, the War Reconstruction begins. And New York does send delegates to Philadelphia's Constitutional Convention in 1787. It is the the Constitution, you know, is agreed upon and adopted in that same year. All right in 1790s as the first reapportionment acts passed when federal census indicates new york's district in the west require more legislative representation new senatorial districts are added so that's kind of an, an important new process that starts in that year in 1801 the first new york constitutional convention is held so every state has their own constitution The number of senators in New York has increased to 32, and the number of assemblymen is set to 100. In in 1809, the legislature moves into the new building on State Street in Albany, and then from 1812 to 1815, the War of 1812 um, occurs, starts in 1812, and it confirms America's independence from England once again, this says. New York was kind of a leader in outlawing slavery. They outlawed slavery about, you know, 40, almost 45 years or almost 47 years. Oh, man, my fast math is bad. Basically, they outlawed slavery in uh, by 1827. And uh, the initial Emancipation Proclamation happened in 1863. So they were way ahead of the curve there in 1821 new york state or new york's second constitutional convention is held in albany senate consent is only required on important appointments voting rights are also addressed and extended to male citizens over 21 who hold property performed military service or worked on highways which is fascinating i guess there were enough people who worked on highways and it was probably not that great of a job so they figured that they should be rewarded with the right to vote or Maybe that they contributed a lot to society so they could vote anyway. It was extended to more people between 1825 and 1865. New York is known as the Empire State, this is when the nickname really takes hold. 1846 is the Mexican American War, and in also in 1846. The legislature's power in New York is diminished with restrictions. Senators and assemblymen are elected from a single district, and the term of a senator is altered from four years to two years. In 1861 to 1865 is the American Civil War. And there's a lot of history kind of about the Capitol building. James Bell, a senator from Jefferson County, suggests obtaining plans for a new Capitol. They then start reviewing designs for the new capital and oversee its construction. The proposed design by Arthur Gilman and Thomas Fuller is accepted. So in 1867, we're starting to see a lot of progressive um, actions by New York. Black suffrage is recommended in the Constitutional Convention of 1867, but it's defeated. Um, But again, slavery is... Is illegal pretty early so we're seeing you know it's pretty progressive even though it was defeated um, the Capitol cornerstone is finally laid in 1871 and there's a, a more about the Capitol building the construction on it there's a lot of history about the big New York Capitol building the New York State seal is declared the permanent design um, for the New York State coat of Arms, and that's in 1885. And then the Capitol is still not done, so Governor Grover Cleveland enlists Isaac Perry to hasten the completion of the Capitol. When Henry H. Richardson dies in 1886, Perry steps in to complete Richardson's plans. Okay, there's another constitutional convention in 1895. As a result of this convention, the number of senators is increased. Um, there's a lot of specific rules about like how many senators can come from which region of New York, but that is a big thing that happened out of the Constitutional Convention of 1894. 1899, Theodore Roosevelt is the first governor to take oath in, cap- in the Capitol building, which he declares is finally complete. This capital structure took 32 years to complete and cost almost $25 million, which is crazy. There's a big fire in 1911. It began in the Assembly Library and swept through the Capitol. The Capitol fire fire is attributed to the building's old electrical system. Okay, oh my gosh, 1914 to 1918 is World War I there is another constitutional convention in 1915 but it doesn't it's not really that important honestly because there are 33 recommendations that are brought forward and all of them are rejected the new york state legislature gives the women the right to vote in 1915 but the voters end up rejecting the bill so i guess kind of this is an example of them not being super progressive Women got the right to vote in 1919, went into effect 1920, and so just four years before that, the um, voters rejected that. Voters finally approved the bill giving the right to vote in 1917. This is three years before the ratification of the 19th Amendment in the U.S. Constitution, which makes it nationwide. Okay, the Great Depression happens between... 1929 and 1939, and then World War II happens between 1941 and 1945. In 1938, there's another constitutional convention, and this is the first time women take part in the convention. New York State is established in 1948. The Korean War is in 1950 to 1953. And then, let's see, it says in 1956 to 1961, the state legislature creates temporary commission on the Constitutional Convention, which provides information to delegates on the state constitution. The commission is replaced with a special committee on the revision and simplification of the Constitution, which makes recommendations for constitutional changes the special committee by the end of 1958 is replaced by the temporary commission on the revision and simplification of the constitution, which also generates reports containing recommendations. Okay. So all that to say, they just kind of switched who's giving recommendations on the constitution. Okay. So this happens, if you notice, there's a lot of constitutional conventions. It says in 1957, so every 20 years it's mandated by the state constitution in article 19 i believe that is that voters are allowed the opportunity to vote for a constitutional convention every 20 years and in 1957 the voters actually reject the call for the constitutional convention the office of the general services is established by governor rockefeller in 1960 in 1961 to 1975 we're in the vietnam war 1964, there's another reapportioning of districts by this, you know, it's ordered by the Supreme Court. So, you know, that's kind of a big deal. We, we touched on the first reapportioning because of, you know, population concerns and things, but um, they did that again in 1964 in 1967 the constitutional convention of 67 is held from this convention comes the recommendation to reassign the reapportionment task from the legislature to a bipartisan commission but that proposal is rejected the empire state plaza is named nelson a rockefeller empire state plaza in 1978 so if you've been to the rockefeller state plaza That was renamed in actually pretty recently i thought that that name had been around for a very very long time but it was just in 1978. which now that i think about it is is still a long time and why would they name it rockefeller before that you know he wasn't that old so i don't know i guess it makes sense okay 1979 new york's state capital in albany is declared a national historic landmark by the united states department of the interior okay let's skip down here to the 2000s so 2001 a major renovation to the Capitol begins there's they're restoring the roof the staircase the dome of up above the great western staircase elevators and outside lights um september 11th 2001 was in new york city obviously um, the world trade center is attacked and that was a very very big event in new york history uh in this basically spawned a whole attack on terrorism so there was a joint session to adopt a resolution condemning the terrorist attack and then the new york state Legislature passed Uh, a lot of legislation to combat terrorism just six days after um, the attacks okay and then there's some reapportionment some redistricting but basically it says the new york state legislature is a bicameral legislature Uh, including the senate with 63 senators elected every two years from 63 senate districts and the assembly with 150 assemblymen elected every two years from 150 assembly districts so that's today again this is on newyorksenate.gov so it's very much government focused and like the structure of the government still very interesting there's a lot of good history in there and redistricting and reapportionment is something i'm actually very interested in learning about because that seems to have such a big effect on politics and things and it seems to be a very big topic in a lot of these historical timelines so let's go over the state symbols one of my favorite parts so i'm just going to run through this list really quick here so the new york state animal is a beaver which is very unique based on some of the other animals in states So it's a beaver. The state beverage is milk. Pretty common. State bird is the eastern bluebird. State bush is the lilac. State dog. They have a dog, but it's not a breed. Their state dog is working canines. So any dog who has a job, basically. The state fish is the brook trout. Uh, That's a freshwater fish. State fish... Of saltwater is the striped bass. State flower is the rose. State apple is the fruit. The state gem is garnet. Uh, they have a state muffin, which is the apple muffin. They have a state reptile, which is the snapping turtle. And let's see, state shell is the bay scallop. They actually do have a state slogan, which is interesting, which is different from the nickname and the motto, which is I heart New York. or It's really I love NY, but it's I heart NY. So when you see that on a shirt, the big I heart NY shirts, that is actually a state official slogan. The state tree is the sugar maple. The state song is I love New York and the state snack is yogurt. So those are the state symbols. Let's go to famous people from New York. There's a lot of them. I'm going to run through this list Anne Hathaway, Scarlett Johansson, Adam Sandler, Jerry Seinfeld, Al Pacino, Billy Joel, Jennifer Lopez, Eddie Murphy, Robert De Niro, Lady Gaga, Tom Cruise, Robert Downey Jr., Mariah Carey. I could go on and on and on. So many people are from New York. So it is a very hopping place to be okay and then the last thing we're going to talk about is the attractions there are so many when i went on my trip we went all around town and saw a lot of great things i couldn't go into any museums or go to broadway because i am unvaccinated and at the time you could not go into anything unvaccinated but they were very accommodating with like outdoor eating and stuff so it actually didn't seem like a big hit to like not be able to go into some things but I have previously gone to a Broadway show um, on some New York trips and like gone to the Statue of Liberty and things like that, but there's so much to do. So let me go through a couple of the most popular attractions in New York. Number one is, as I mentioned, the Statue of Liberty iconic. You got to see it. Two is Central Park, which is absolutely beautiful. I love parks in the middle of big cities and Central Park is just gorgeous. Rockefeller's Rockefeller Center and the top of the rock observation deck so they have like an ice skating rink in Rockefeller Center especially in the winter I think it's only in the winter um, which is beautiful and so fun and the huge Christmas tree goes there there's the Metropolitan Museum of Art which is cool I don't know if I've ever been in there but there's Broadway so you got to see you know a Broadway show of the empire state building there's the 9-11 memorial and museum which i saw this last trip and that is definitely worth going to see so it has like all the names of everyone who died engraved around the edge um, and then this big pool of water in the middle with this like geometric square thing it's it's a really nice uh memorial so definitely worth seeing there is the High Line, which we saw as well. They call it a unique linear public park, and it's basically like a train station sort of thing that's elevated off the ground, and they, it was very industrial, but they put a bunch of plants and all this greenery up there, and it's actually like really, really nice to go see. There's the American Museum of Natural History. There's Times Square. The Brooklyn Bridge is in New York, Fifth Avenue, which is a super famous, you know, shopping area with all the really fancy stores like Saks Fifth Avenue, Cartier, Tiffany's. Um, that is fun if you really like shopping. There's Grand Central Station or Grand Central Terminal is in New York, the Lincoln Center, um, the, uh, let me see if there's a, the New York Public Library is huge and absolutely beautiful. And that is definitely worth a stop. Radio City Music Hall is in New York. St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is oh, so gorgeous. And then Carnegie Hall. All of those are in New York. And so I highly, highly, highly recommend going there for a visit it is you can do so much no matter what you like to do if you like nature more you can still get nature and like all the parks there but if you love like the hustle and bustle of the city all the time or historical landmarks you can also go there so anywhere you want to go you cannot go wrong in new york so that is all for this episode i hope you all enjoyed it let me know if you've been to new york in the comments on my instagram um, when i post that And this just really made me want to go back to New York. So I might have to plan a trip very, very soon there. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you later.